Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. This morning's devotional I've simply titled The Greatest Investment. I want to read a few scriptures this morning to kind of set a platform on which we are going to stand on this morning as we discuss this very theme this morning. It's going to be, I believe, a very important one. I believe it's a very important one, especially in this day and age in the church. So very important for us to some some way come back to the rudiments, our foundations of our walk with God. How many know that sometimes we can see around us that the church seems to lose its way? Uh, we, We look around and we see the question how is it that certain places of worship if you will are doing and allowing these certain things but it doesn't coincide with my spirit doesn't agree with who I am on the inside and who God has made me to be there's a challenge that we're living in today ladies and gentlemen amen we're living in a challenging time we really are you need to be made aware of this because we really are living in a time where There is a great apostasy going on. There's a great confusion amongst the teachings of men. Somehow we have watered down uh, the true meaning of God's word. We have forgotten and we have replaced the principles and the criterias that he has placed in order for us to walk by if we indeed want to make our walk with him successful. The greatest investment. I want to read a few scriptures this morning. Matthew 26 and 14, first of all, and 16 through 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, obviously agreeable to Judas... Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him, who him? Jesus, to hand him over. We'll rush over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, verse 28, and it reads as follows. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and it's not, he is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, he continues, Suppose a king, another analogy, example, something to bring them to a moment of consideration. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able after considering this, he will send a delegation while the other is still along the way off and will ask for terms of peace because he's smart. I obviously can't win this battle, so I better do something about it. In the same way, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. This speaker is still on and it's kind of wheezing in my ear. I don't know what it is. 
Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13, 44 and on. These are the parables of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away again and sold everything he had and bought it. The Lord bless his word. Amen. I've chosen this passages of scripture to help us focus on the theme subject on which our devotional will rest upon this morning. The main subject matter of each one of these passages, as you've noticed, I'm sure, are things like price, cost, economy, investment, sacrifice, desire, value, and even determination. Now, when it comes to investment, every one of us in this place understands, young and old, I really do believe this, if not, you'll understand what I, what I say to you this morning. We're all acquainted with investments on a daily basis. In the simple fact that uh, daily, uh, most of us here have to make investment decisions in all things in life. From the simplicity of trying to make a choice on what meal to buy. How much do I want to spend for a hot dog or Papa Do's? Let's go to Papa Do's. But, but you're going to end up paying more. So you consider the cost. Should you spend your money on this particular thing that you want on this thing or, or on this day or that day? Then there are greater challenges of investment in life and people are going through them even as we speak. Today some people are looking to purchase a home. It's a lot of money. A car. Maybe a property. Maybe businessmen here in this house today are considering certain investments in business deals and contracts that they're wanting to sign, but they're considering the investment. And even on the emotional side, all of us understand investment because there's people here today possibly and certainly around the world everywhere thinking about someone and if it's worth the investing of themselves in that relationship, do you want to pay that much to keep this person in my life, not only for a moment, but forever? Do I have the time that I'm going to, or that I want to invest in this particular person so that my relationship with him or her will indeed be one of longevity? Now, please understand that this is not a teaching on banking economics. There are many of you here today who are much more capable of teaching on finances than I am. But while you may not consider yourself a, an economics expert, still the whole idea of economics is something the Lord instructs us to consider in our lives, especially in the investment of our lives. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about something much more valuable than money, and that is your life. What shall we give our lives to? What shall we surrender? 
who we are in this life. Now I'm speaking also in the spiritual sense and the focal point of this whole discourse this morning is us choosing God or not. And if we do, have we considered the cost? Have we considered the sacrifice? Have we considered our determination to possess him? Have we considered what it's going to take from us and demand of us as people to obtain the precious pearl in Christ? Now, let me go back to the passages I read to you this morning and kind of just break them a little bit. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, we see the Sanhedrin or the high priest speaking to Judas. And they were talking economics. They were talking investment. They wanted to possess Christ. They obviously thought and knew that Christ was a problem to them. And so they wanted to obtain Christ and snuff his life out or do imprison him, but stop him in his endeavor to evangelize the world around them. So they found someone in the business and they spoke to him. And the proposition comes to the table and the question of the hour is, how much do you want to pay? So these men had to consider what I just initially said. The price, the cost, the economy, the investment, the sacrifice, the desire, the value, and their determination. All these things are involved when we are going to invest something, whether we know it or not. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, as we read just previously, here we see Christ teaching his followers on the same subject of investment. He uses illustrations and analogies to get his followers to consider that things cost. And precious things cost a lot. And that you're going to have to consider how bad you want it. He speaks of a man who's going to build a tower. He said, now if you wanted to build a tower, you lay the foundation. But before you start anything, shouldn't you sit back and take a calculator and say, do I have enough cement? Do I have enough bricks? Do I have enough laborers around me? Do I have the blueprint prepared? Do I have all these things that are necessary to make my endeavor prosperous and successful? And he gives great warning by saying, if this man doesn't do that, he's very likely to begin building and end up with a foundation and nothing else. Or he may end up with 500 bricks when he needed 2,000 bricks to build this tower he so desired. And the end result of his endeavor is a mockery amongst people. Look at him. Big old tower he's going to build. And look at the rubble he left. And so what was supposed to be prestigious for him and something of great value and purpose ended up being something people laughed at. Matthew 13, we read this as well. And here then is Christ now bringing attention to his followers and now making reference to the kingdom of heaven. And he was a very pointed teaching for those who desire to follow after him. And he says to them, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. And when a man found it, he celebrated. He wanted it. 
And he wanted it so bad that without question, without a different breath in the same sentence, he turned around, went and got rid of everything he had and came back. And he took a hold of that field, that treasure, and he possessed it for himself. He then describes a merchant who is trying to look for precious stones. And he, found, he finds a pearl of great price. And in his joy, he turns around. He says, what do I have? I'll give everything. And he went and he took everything he owned. The Bible uses the word everything he owned. Sold it off and came back and purchased the pearl for himself. The point that Christ is making very clear here is that the, there's a cost to follow Christ, ladies and gentlemen. There is a price for us to be able to make our walk in God successful. We're admonished through Scripture, every one of us here this morning, to consider several things considering this investment in Christ. There is the cost there is the examination of the price we need to pay, the economy investment that we need to make, the sacrifices we need to make, the desire of how bad you want it, the value, how you value the object that you want, and your determination to not stop until you possess it. Are you with me this morning? You're looking at me too serious. Great warning. This is a very serious topic. Amen? You see, Jesus never covered the truth. He never fluffed people up just to get him to be popular. You know, he didn't have coffee in the, his living room for people and cookies and chocolates. and He didn't have Nintendo machines for all the kids. He never, ever fooled people. He never motivated people with a sense of gimmicks to be able to have them come and fill his pew. To be an audience to him and much less to follow him. Matthew 8 and 18, good example. When Jesus saw the crowd... Around him, he gave orders to cross the, to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will go. I will follow you wherever you go. Promises are made real easy. I will go anywhere. Wherever you go, just I'll do it. This is a great moment. My emotions are stirred up and it's a great sermon and I'm excited and I like you. I, I like what you're doing. And I'll go there. And immediately you would think that Jesus, like many of us, really? Or what time can you be here? Really, can you come to my office and meet with me so that maybe we can talk about what, how you can help me at the church? Uh, really, you play piano? Oh, how we need a piano player. No. Jesus turns around and says... Foxes have holes and birds have, air, have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Huh? What kind of turn off is that? I'm trying to tell you I'll give my life for you. But Jesus knows better. 
How many promises have we ever made that we've kept to God? But because we were in dire straits and in need, you were under pressure. Lord, kind of like that guy I spoke about last week. Jack was hanging from the side of a mountain, and his, he was certainly to plunge to his death. And he heard a voice. He said, Jack, yes, who is it? It's me, the Lord. Yes, tell me whatever you want. I'll do. I'll live the rest of my life for you. Easy, Jack, easy. Promises are made easy when you're under duress. And this is the same thing, the same principle. Relax. Follow me unto death. Relax. Matthew 19 and 16, we have another example, very clear example of Jesus teaching economics. The young rich ruler, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, if you want to enter life, uh, obey the commandments. Oh, that's change. What commandments? And he mentioned a few. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. And on he went. He said, I have already paid for that. That's good. That's no big deal to me. I don't lust at any of it. I haven't killed anybody. I, I'm respectful to my parents. All these things. But then Jesus said this. If you want to really finish and be successful. If you really want to possess that precious pearl. If you really want to embrace that special and hidden treasure. He said, then take all the stuff you got, sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says that that young man, just like the man that found that fine pearl, ran off and sold everything and came to follow Jesus. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what mine says. It says he went away bitterly because his possessions were many. But if we can use lay terms, layman's terms, it just costs too much. This is going to bless somebody this morning. The price was too high. Here's the greatest teaching on good economics and investment and true wealth here in the scriptures. It's not knowing how to balance your checkbook here on earth. Though that's a good thing. But it's knowing how to keep your checkbook balanced in your relationship with God. Knowing how to invest and knowing what you must invest if you're going to possess that precious pearl caused Christ. Now, please don't take this as a criticism. Take what I'm about to say next as great concern. This is the church's failure today. This is one of the church's greatest failure today, what I'm talking about right now. This is not very popular. Some of you, I dare maybe not even come back anymore after this. That's okay. Go invest somewhere else. But this is the church's greatest failure today. The lack of helping people understand that living a Christian life is a costly thing. It's challenging. It's a challenging lifestyle to embark. It is a very sacrificial investment that we must be made aware of before we step into it. To consider the cost before we make all kinds of confessions and promises. 
then we too, like Peter, will say, Lord, uh, I will follow you even unto death. And before the sun goes down or the sun goes up, he will have denied him. And how many times, ladies and gentlemen, I say this to our sadness, how many times have we met people who will come to the altar and say, Jesus, be Lord of my life without considering anything, just the emotional aspect of it. And by the next morning, they've forgotten who Christ is and the whole experience and whatever commitments they made or they find themselves in some dire straight position, some kind of turmoil, and they'll say, Pastor, I'll do anything. I need Jesus. Lord, save this man. Yes, save me, and I'll do this and the other. But then things get well tomorrow morning. And the tower they begin to build right there becomes a circle of a monument of mockery. Oh, weren't you a Christian man? Look at that guy over there. Look at that family. They, weren't they going to church? Remember they told us that Jesus this and Jesus that. Now look at them. They just opened the bar. Look at that young person. Wasn't he a part of Rock of Ages youth team? And wow, look at him over here. He's, he's a bartender over here doing this or the other. And he... And the world will look at you, that person, just like the man who was wanting to build a tower without considering what he was doing, and they laugh. Pfft. Yeah, sure. And we end up hurting the gospel. We end up hurting the testimony of our Savior. Now, let me say this in passing as well. And I hope that you understand what I'm saying this morning. Exactly what I'm going to say right now. If you understand what I'm about to say, it's going to build your, it's going to edify your heart and allow you to rest more in a spirit of compassion over people that just can't get it right when it comes to walking with God. I, I, I don't want to sound spaghetti-ish in my language this morning. I want you to understand what I'm about to say right now. You see, living a Christian life is a challenge. How many can say amen? amen. How many know that Jesus doesn't spoil anybody? I've had people say, oh, me tiene tan chiflado el Señor. Le dije, pues a mí no. Oh, he's got me so spoiled. And I get it. I get the emotion. He's a good God. And I know. I, I know. But then if you'll examine just a little bit, you'll find out that their walk isn't even with the Lord. They're just happy because they got a check in the mail. But every relationship with God amongst us, you see, we're not inanimate objects. All of us have feelings and emotions, and we have thoughts and philosophies and ideas. We're creative in our own sense. So, but we're also born in different environments. So this I say so that hopefully I'll encourage compassion uh, in your heart over others who just can't seem to get it right like you. You know, there are some people, ladies and gentlemen, between those who all of a sudden give their life to Christ and they seem to give it to Christ once and they make it and, and they seem to never stifle, at least at sight, they need to never stifle, they make it all the way. And then there are those who will give their life today and the next week they stifle and they fall and they stand and they fall. And what we do as believers, sometimes we criticize a person like that. But we don't understand the reality that we are not inanimate objects. We have feelings and we have certain roots and upbringings and influences around us. Let me give you examples. There are people, young people, older people, some of us in this place who are born in a house of disbelief. 
In a house of disbelief, rebellion, ungodly practices, and an irreligious environment. Some of us have had parents that way. And so to imagine that person after all the training and all the influence all their lives, to find them at 20 years old, however old they may be, to try to preach Jesus to them, it's hard to, to disassociate from all the influence of their lives. So it's difficult. But then there are those who was born in a Christian family who all their lives, I was just telling the church this morning, I said, you know, my mother, I was born in a Christian family uh, 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 my mother, on a constant basis, pray and, and go, come here. And she'd grab us by the ears. We're plenty of boys and big boys. And she'd pray for us before we go to school. And we're just standing there, you know. And, and, but she'd pray for us. And every night, did you guys pray? And, and all these things, we'd get it on a daily basis from a Christian mother. And bless the Lord for Christian women. Amen. That's right. If you're a Christian mother, raise your children. Look what happens to them. But I'm thankful. But then there are others, ladies and gentlemen, who are born in a traditionalist family. Who because of tradition, they were born in Catholicism or some other cult or religion, whatever it is, that they are so stubborn in that position that they won't listen to anything else except that which we were born in. And this is where we're going to die. And so it's hard to reach into the heart of a particular person that way and expect them to just walk out and just walk with Christ for the rest of their lives. It's a difficult thing. So we need to understand that when we see someone stifled that way, instead of judging them, Understand where they come from first. Because you came from a Christian family, so you know how to pray. You've heard the prayer. They told you to pray over your meal at home. They told you to pray when you went to sleep. They told you to thank God and give your day to the Lord in the morning. That's where some of us were born. In. And praise the Lord for that. That's, that is awesome. But there are those, ladies and gentlemen, just the other day, just sitting at a restaurant uh, one day, a few months ago, uh, having dinner. Uh, there was a man, uh, a very handsome 40-year-old or so, and he had two little girls and sitting there, and he was talking to them, and he was speaking to them in the most vulgar way, calling them cuss words. But he was smiling. He was, he was you know, lovey-dovey things, but in curse words. And I thought, I found it offensive that he would speak to them with such vulgarity. And I, that's none of my business. That's those his children. And, but I did say, because I couldn't <laughs> stay out of what's not my business. I said, hey, man, they're beautiful girls, man. I've got two daughters myself. He goes, yeah, yeah. Don't talk to me like that, man. They're gorgeous. And he's a little bit bigger than I am. I said, talk to them the way you want, man. No, I said, why do you talk to them in that way? He goes, like, what do you mean? He didn't get a clue. But he was vulgar. Now you think of those children. Let's fast forward 15 years from now, 18 years, and they come to a youth group, and they want to introduce Christ to them. When they were born in that environment, how difficult do you think it's going to be for them to tear apart from such an upbringing? This is why we're instructed to train a child in the way he should go. Yes? Amen. The point I'm trying to make is that we're all different. 
But overall, ladies and gentlemen, when you go besides uh, where, what side of the track we were born, if I can use that term, there's still an investment whenever we come to Christ. Some people are so stuck in their position that they're not going to change. But there is an investment that all of us must be conscious of in order for us to make our godly endeavor and our pursuit of the Lord prosperous and fruitful. Let me give you three things. These are not divine, may not seem divine to you in principle, but I'll tell you what. Nevertheless, it's the foundation of our walk with God. The first thing you need to invest is you forsaking sin. Pastor, that's, that's an easy. The next question is, do you? Do I? That is one of the greatest investments that a man can give when they give their life or they want to walk with God. They need to forsake all sin. What the scripture means is in explaining this is that once, ladies and gentlemen, we give our lives to the Lord. It's more than just saying, oh, I'll never do that again. But it, 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 it involves a fundamental change inside of us. From the moment of salvation, you are promising, you are committing to avoid those things that contradict and are not nurturing to your walk with God. Listen to Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say what? What does it say? Some of us have trouble saying that. Concerning sin, it teaches us to say no. No to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Ladies and gentlemen, that's an investment. That is an investment. This is what the whole objective of this message is to teach us that to serve the Lord, we have to invest things that we sometimes like. We are flesh. Every corner of our existence, we are invited to sin on a daily basis. Once you leave this place and go to a restaurant, it parades in front of you. When you go home, the television on is on and they're inviting you to sin. You can go to work and listen to a conversation and the invitation to get into an ungodly conversation is there. What do you say? There's an investment, and it cost. If you found that treasure's pearl, and the Bible said with great joy he went and sold everything off. Let me tell you something. This is one of the things you have to sell off to buy that precious pearl if you're going to possess it. Hebrews 2 and 1. Great word of warning, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So we don't lose it. So that you can truly possess it. Isaiah 55 and 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. But the instruction, the investment is let the wicked man turn from his ways. When we give our lives to the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, it's important for us to understand 
that we are naked before God. He sees all things. We have to take salvation real. This isn't taught from the pulpits anymore. And I know this is not a very, you're not shouting me down, so it's not a very popular topic. Because it challenges us. It, it's, your, Pastor, you're taking us to a place where we need to pull stuff out and invest in this thing. Exactly. That's what the scripture teaches us all. There is an investment to make when it comes to possessing the great pearl. That is Christ. Whether we accept it or not, the Bible is clear that we are all accountable to him. Hebrews 4 and 13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. And so, we're admonished in Scripture in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And only then will you be able to test and approve what God's good and perfect will is. An investment. We're instructed in Scripture, Philippians 4 and 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, anything excellent and praiseworthy, we should concentrate and accept these things into our lives and invest the other stuff and leave it at the cross. Secondly, this morning, Equally just as challenging and costly. For this you too have to consider the cost, the sacrifice, the desire in possessing Christ. The investment of surrendering your self-will. You know, we defend ourselves a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I want to be careful with this because I don't want to be uh, in any way contradictory or make you confused. But everybody believes in God giving us our self-will, correct? Right, we all have a choice. And sometimes we'll use it uh, comfortably and say, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's all a gentleman. He's not going to force you. He'll invite you. He'll ask you to use your will to come and choose him and this and the other. And the scripture will teach us, I place life and death before you choose life. And we see these things. But you see, when you give your life to Christ, you surrender that will that now it becomes his will. Oh, pastor, no, not that. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah, he was in disagreement a little bit, you know, feeling the pain and the pangs of, of death circling around him. He said, Lord, you can save me from this hour, okay. But you know what? At the end of the day, I understand that once you and I are one, it's no longer me. It's whatever you want. And that's a very difficult and costly investment for many people because, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of things that we want to do for ourselves. There are plans and visions and hopes and dreams and they're beautiful and that's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand that once we give our lives to Christ, every plan, every desire, every hope, every dear, every, 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 every uh, uh, dream has to be filtered by the will of God. I, I told the church this morning, and I'll, I'll tell you this morning, I had no idea, I had no clue, and should I say no desire to be standing before you here today and after close to 30, 40 years of ministering and pastoring, that, I, that, that this was my ultimate goal. When, I, when it was just me and not God, I had other aspirations in life. I did it. 
I, I could sit down and tell you the stories of, of the things that I dreamed and the things that I began to work with and the things that I started accumulating, the things that I wanted to do, the plan I was trying to get to where I wanted to be in my life. This is what I wanted for me, for my family. This is what I wanted for myself. This is what's going to be to me an equation, the total, a successful life. But then Jesus came. Ay, ay, ay. Look at me now. I'm only 26. <laughs> he changed it. Because I believe that now my life, if I was truly going to belong to him, he would have to direct it. And if I believe that he truly knows a plan for my life and that he truly, everything that, that he allows me to go through will be for the benefit of my life, then I can trust him with that. So I said, Lord, whatever my dream was, let me filter it to you. Well, that's nice, but no. Are you sure? I'm already good at this. I don't know. No, that's fine. You're good at that. And you'll use that later. But really, I need you to do this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, everybody say therefore. If you're part of this, say therefore. All died. That one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live in him now should no longer live for themselves but for who? For who? Say it again. For him. What part of that English do you not understand? What part is so difficult to explain from these pulpits across the land? You see, again, this is one of the greatest failures that our pulpits have today. We tell people Jesus is a free-for-all. And he's not. How sad a day it's going to be when we go and you meet him face-to-face -face and you say, Hey, man, it was... Great ride. Really? Just fresh, wash clothes, starched, everything. Everything was good. And then you're going to see another Christian come in with his shield and sword, bent and bloody and beat up and saying, Lord, I fought the good fight. I run the race. I kept the faith. What's the difference? It was one who understand that there was an investment to make in order to arrive and to achieve and to possess that precious pearl. As we consider the cost of our journey toward heaven, we need to consider that it's going to cost the giving up of a lot of things. And people have trouble with this, ladies and gentlemen, because again, I say to you, we are a people of many plans. But yet the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom. And all his righteousness. Romans 12 and 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. James 4 and 7 says, Submit yourselves. All these verses inspire us to remember that surrendering ourselves to God is not something we just do once. It's something we do daily. Amen? Did you understand that? These passages persuade us, they, they convince us, they propel us, they probe us, they instruct us, they motivate us to understand that our giving our lives to God isn't just coming to the altar and say, I give my life to you and I'll catch you on the rebound. 
It's a daily experience in giving ourselves to the Lord at all measure, at all cost. Lord, my investment of me, I place in your hands. This is what it means when this man went and sold off everything he had because he wanted to possess that treasure. What does salvation mean anymore in the church? What does it mean to you anymore here with us in this church? Does it mean a free-for-all? Or do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that he invested all, therefore we invest all. The Bible does compare that. He says, since one died for all, then all have died. It's giving our lives to the Lord. Young people, it's giving our lives to the Lord. Dad, mom, it's giving our lives to the Lord. It's knowing that it's going to cost us many times our dreams, our aspirations, plans, hopes, and efforts in moving forward as we think. Now we know that everything we're going to step into is always going to be filtered through the will of God for our lives. It means to us in surrendering our will that we believe that God has already orchestrated a plan And a guided way for us to live our lives. I promise you this without question. And this is an absolute matter of fact. That if all of us obeyed the Lord. We would not be in shambles in this world that we live in. And that I know sounds like ridiculous thinking amongst many people. Come on. For real. This world and every family and you and I would not be in the mess we are if we learn to obey God's plan for our lives. Since the garden, the Lord laid the criteria down. Since the garden, humanity messed up. Is it impossible to believe that we would probably all still be in the garden if nobody had messed up? Of course, it's true. It would be that way. Impossible, I guess, when you know the level of humanity and the carelessness by which we guide our lives with. Of course, it's an impossible dream. Because by nature, we are sinful. But we weren't at creation. You know what got us here? A bad investment. And the last this morning. I don't know if this principle is going to make any sense to you, but I think you'll understand as I continue to speak to you. Are you with me this morning? Is anybody learning anything? Amen. I I pray so. I pray so because I I, 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 I don't want to pastor a church that thinks that Jesus is a free-for-all because he's not that cheap. I serve a very valuable God, and if you want that treasure, you're going to have to pursue him with your heart. I can't win him for you. I can make him accessible for you by inviting you to say, come and receive Jesus. He's awesome, man. And the best thing I can do is by me being conscious of the cost to show you that I've given my everything to possess this precious pearl called Christ. But the last thing is we must invest or surrender our normal earthly responses to life. How do we put it back up there? Invest your earthly nature. I like that. What does this mean? What does this principle mean? It means that instead of immediately reacting to things in life as the world does in its norm, we now go to God first. 
That's a really big investment. What this means is now when something happens in your life, instead of responding as the world does, you stop and take a moment, reflect on it, and take it to God to see what he says about it. Now does it make any sense? Amen? It's bring it to God and wait for a response on behalf of the Lord. It means that we must go to him and express, even if it's frustration or disappointments, go to him and say, Lord, what do you say about this? Because I know what I want to do. And I know how I'm going to respond. Everybody responds. We say this a lot of times. Well, how did you respond? Like everybody does. And you do. We respond like the world does. And what Christ is trying to teach that his church does not respond as the world does. This is why we're in such dire straits and trouble. Because we've been responding to everything the world does. We've been responding as the world if we would respond as Jesus would respond, there's promises here I'm going to read to you. What will happen? But we need to ask God to help us discern what is righteous and unrighteous, what is right and not right in regards to our response to anything we go through in life. We surrender our earthly nature and practices. Let me show you an example. Yes? This is, I'm going to finish with this, I promise, again. Matthew 26 and 47. This is almost comical, but it's not comical. Matthew 26 and 47. While he was still speaking, Judas one of, and one of, the tw- or one of the twelve rather arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. Yikes. Sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. Remember we spoke about Judas and the priests? How much are you going to pay me? Well, this was a transaction now. They're getting ready now to do final business. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal. He said, the one I kissed is the man and arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus says, greeting, Rabbi. The hypocrisy of it, isn't it? Hmm. And kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Knock yourself out. Jesus knows everything. Jesus was just responding like the son of God. And you'll see that he could have, but he didn't. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Here he comes, out of the shadows. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached his sword and he drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting his ear off. Ah! And Jesus, instead of saying, run! This is our chance! He's wounded, run! There was a whole ruckus going on. It's a great time to escape the blood everywhere. There's a man with a sword, and it was a great time for Jesus to run and hide in the woods. But he didn't do that. He probably saw it. Put your sword back. Come here. Look what you broke. 
And he fixed his ear. And Peter. <laughs> and just paraphrasing, you can read it for yourself. You should read it for yourself. Jesus said, what are you doing? Is this what I've been preaching? Really? You hit me, I'll hit you back, man. You get after me, I got guys. You got an army, it's me too. No. He had to fix the mess because he responded as humanity responds to problems. He put his ear. And I wonder how many times God has to fix stuff you broke. Ah. It's already 1230 and I'm just kind of getting warmed up now. Jesus shows up now. Look what you did. You broke it. I wonder how many times God has to fix stuff you responded to in your human nature and you messed it up and here he comes, has to put an ear back. Then he makes him understand. This is why you can relax and trust me. You think I cannot call my father? You think I'm helpless? You think I cannot call my father? He'll call 10 legions of angels and destroy these guys? You think I don't have an enemy to just, and they're gone? I'm trying to teach you to stop being human and start being a Christian. I'm trying to teach you how to be like me. I'm trying to teach you how to possess that great pearl. I'm trying to teach you how to secure heaven. But here you go. You're walking with the king. You're in the church. You're at Rock of Ages. And any business transaction that doesn't go the way you like it, you mouth off and you say stuff. You draw your sword. Now, you may say, Pastor, I've never cut anybody's ear off. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. Look what he says in Mark 13 and 12. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. The children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. That's trouble. You're going to have plenty of opportunities in this life to respond in earthly nature. Everything. A lot of chances. Sibling rivalries. Anybody had those? Just me? Guys are saints, I'm telling you. <laughs> Rebellious kids, anybody? And then there are those in the world who just down, don't, downright don't like you. Now, it mentions the word hate. The word hate. And hate is a very powerful word. And though you and I may never experience what really the full thrust of hate or someone hating you because of your faith, there are indeed people who hate Christians in this world. There are indeed people in this world who are dying because of their faith. Because people really do indeed hate them. They have lost their lives because of Christ. The Bible gives great warnings in John chapter 16 concerning this. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. In trying to oust the church in these last days... There are some people who think they're doing a good thing by destroying the church. It's happening. The point being, ladies and gentlemen, that there are a lot of things that are going to stir our emotions as Christians. It could be a bad business deal. It could be whatever situation. 
And it's important at that moment that we have invested our earthly nature to allow God to speak for us, lest we soil the name of Jesus. Now, again, Pastor, I, I would never cut anybody's ear off. But what do you do when people insult you or cut you in the heart or they hurt you? Well, I would do what Peter did. I would strike back. That's the way of the world. That's your normal, carnal, earthly nature. But maybe you won't cut somebody's ear off, but in your mind, you will allow it to run off and say, man, I hope he gets his. All I know, man, every time I think about him, I hope one day they catch him and tear him up. He deserves it. Did you forget that Jesus hears your thoughts? Well, I don't really like to think bad about people, but what if your mouth loses control? Yeah, stinking, no good for nothing. And you start murmuring and you start cutting ears off. How many know that Jesus hears your words? Or maybe you very slightly begin to somehow out them from your circle of friends. I don't like you anymore. Don't call him. Let's all go to the party and, and, and leave that friend of ours from college out because we don't like her anymore. You oust them. You see, little different things that we do in cutting off ears. And all that is, ladies and gentlemen, is responding in our earthly nature. And I know it's a difficult thing, but it's that we have no license to ignore the responsibility and the requirements of God to try to get these things out of our system. Because I promise you that some people today live their lives with Christ putting back ears all over the place. And I'm wondering if the Lord says, when are you going to learn? I'm tired of replacing ears. I'm tired of replacing things you break because you can't control your anger. You're so jealous. You hurt people. You're so angry all the time. You break hearts. You're so rough at the mouth. You break people. You pay people back so bad just be, and you didn't ask to be easy, but you're so sly to do things. God knows all these things, and God is saying, listen, I need you to surrender these things. These are investments that you need to make in this relationship and give them to me. This is what it's going to cost you. Give me that stuff. If you want to possess that hidden treasure. I want you, as 1 Peter 3.8 says, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love your brothers. Love his brothers. Be compassionate, humble. Listen to this. Very important. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What's going to make our walk in God successful, ladies and gentlemen, is us surrendering our earthly nature. Learn to love people. Learn to forgive people. And learn to stop responding like the world does. 
May it never be said of you. May it never be said of me. So what did he do about it? What anybody else would have done. I hope they never say that about me or you. So what happened when they did this to you? What did you do? Well, I'll tell you what he did, what everybody else would have done. Jesus never did what everybody else would have done. Can you agree with me? Isn't he special? Isn't he beautiful? And the same heart, the same mind, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we are being changed from glory to glory every day into his likeness. The Bible tells us that we should clothe ourselves in Christ on a daily basis. It means that there is an investment to make. We need to learn to value salvation. We need to go back to reading that parable of the guy that found that special treasure. And I want us to look at salvation and that special treasure and then ask yourself, what am I willing to invest for that? I, I tell you again today, let it offend whoever is going to offend, whoever teaches different. How sad it is when people think salvation costs nothing. It costs nothing. Shall we go to the cross to see what it cost? Shall I take you to the cross to see how grave and how deep and how costly just to offer you this salvation? Shall I have to show you a crucified Christ? Should I have to take you back? Should I have to take you back to show you how he wore a, a crown of thorns and how he was spat at and how he beard was yanked off of his face and how he was left in an unrecognizable state. And should I tell you that salvation is cheap? Really? It's a happy-go-lucky situation. Let's go there because salvation is just a happy-go-lucky situation. And you know what? It's, it's a free thing. Come as you are. Stay as you are. Do whatever you want. Anyway, Jesus was the one that went through all the turmoil, the bleeding, and the death. No. There's an investment to make. I believe that this is a message that needs to be preached around the world again. When the church begins to value salvation again, you're going to begin to see people invest in salvation again. We're going to begin to fall in love with him and say, why won't you do that? Because I'm paying for that. I'm going for that. I want to make sure I possess that. But can't you do this and can't you? No. It's not who I am. You see, I found it here. They offered it to me. I found it here. And now I've gotten rid of everything that I am. And I'm doing the best I can to get away from, from responding in my earthly nature. I'm getting away from, from, from just looking at this flippantly. I'm, I'm trying to look at this great and precious priceless pearl as something that if I lose, I will be the worst investor in the world. I will be the biggest loser in the world. And I certainly don't want to begin to walk with Jesus and be known as a Christian for six months. And the next six months, I'm known as the neighborhood drunk. Salvation is real, ladies and gentlemen. I believe that heaven is real. How about you? 
How many want heaven? Would you stand to your feet this morning? How many want heaven? I want you to close your eyes for a moment as I close. There is a cost to follow Jesus and to live a successful life in Him. Regardless of what anybody says, they have to contradict the Scripture. But to not live for Him will be such a great loss. And you will have lost the greatest chance to invest in the best investment of your life. As a matter of fact, I take the challenge to tell you that you cannot afford to miss out on this investment. We can't afford to not purchase for ourselves and invest all we can do to be able to fit the criteria to possess this hidden treasure. If you lose it and you miss out on this investment, you will miss out on the forgiving love of God the Father. You will lose out on the saving power of Christ His Son. You will lose out on the consoling presence of His Holy Spirit. You will lose out on the sure promises of His Holy Word. You will lose out on the joy of serving Him in a victorious way. You will lose out on the blessed home of hope of seeing Him and spending eternity with Him in heaven. If you lose Him and you lose this investment, you will lose out on all the glories and rewards of His eternal kingdom when He comes. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.